What does this song mean? My whole life, I don't know what this song means. I mean, should old acquaintance be forgot? Does that mean that we should forget old acquaintances? It doesn't mean that if we happen to forget them, we should remember them, which is not possible because we already forgot them. Well, maybe it just means that we should remember that we forgot them or something. <laughs> anyway, it's about old friends. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today is our own master of disaster, my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as the unenthusiastic critic. Hello. On this week's episode, Nakia and I are ringing in the new year with Irwin Allen's seminal disaster film, The Poseidon Adventure, from 1972. And Nakia, my reasons for choosing The Poseidon Adventure are not particularly sophisticated. That is typical. <laughs> This episode is scheduled to drop on New Year's Day, and the Poseidon Adventure takes place on New Year's Eve. Mm. That really was the extent of my logic. Okay. Uh, but I think it's a good choice, because you, woebegotten child of the 80s as you are, completely missed the golden age of disaster films that was the 1970s. Pretty sure I, I didn't miss anything, but okay. <laughs> no, you completely missed out on this. Mm-hmm. In the 70s, disaster films were sort of what superhero films are today. They were the big-budget spectacle films. Mm -hmm. There seemed to be a new one about every three weeks. This golden wave began with 1970s Airport, although actually very little of Airport is a disaster film. It's really kind of a big, sort of dull <laughs> soap opera set in an airport with a lot of subplots, okay. of which the bomb on an airplane subplot is just one of the many things going on at that airport. So everybody's in the airport, but the bomb is on the airplane. Yes. And then the people on the ground are dealing with the problem of having a bomb on the airplane. It seems... Okay. I don't really remember, <laughs> I, to be honest. I feel like it would be more urgency if, you know, it was about people on a plane with a bomb. I, I watched, it was actually on TV a little while ago, and I watched a few minutes of it, because I, like I said, I barely remembered it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is really kind of boring. When are we going to get to the disaster part? And then I finally just turned it off, because we didn't get anywhere near the disaster part. Okay. This is the golden age, though. <laughs> it was the start of the golden age. <laughs> Got it. Airport became the most profitable film of the year. <laughs> It grossed over $100 million domestically. Adjusted for inflation, it is still one of the 50 highest grossing films of all time. Wow. And it inspired this wave of disaster movies, including three sequels in the airport franchise. Uh, Driving to the airport. <laughs> packing for the airport. Stuck at the airport. <laughs> Booking my flight. No, this was... Uh, Airport 75, Airport 77, and The Concord, Airport 79. Mm. Uh, this was diminishing returns as we go through each one of these films. But a higher class of plane, it sounds like. <laughs> and then the man who became eponymous with this genre is producer-director Irwin Allen, who actually wasn't involved in the Airport series at all, but he capitalized on the film's formula so well that most people probably think he was. Mm-hmm. This was a guy, he had come up as a producer for RKO. He started out directing documentaries, um, including 1956's The Animal World, which features, I don't know if you have seen, the famous old 10-minute stop-motion sequence with dinosaurs that Ray Harryhausen did. No. He, he was a guy that, that figured out how to get really good spectacle on a budget. Okay. He worked in television for a while, including producing such hits as Lost in Space, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, The Land of the Giants, which was this great sci-fi series in which people were stranded on a planet where everything was 12 times the size that it is on Earth. Mm -hmm. Time Tunnel was a good old sci-fi series that he produced. Stuff like that. Again, it's, you know, a lot of very ambitious stuff on not much budget. And then he claimed his reputation as the master of disaster with two films, The Poseidon Adventure from 1972 and The Towering Inferno from 1974, both of which are on our list because you have not seen The Towering Inferno either, have no. you? Okay, so we will get to that one of these days. 
features a star supporting turn from O.J. Simpson, among other things. Uh, wow. But these movies utilized the formula that had made airports such a success. A large, star-studded cast mixing old Hollywood legends with hot young stars. These were A-listers and former A-listers. And if you look at the disaster movies from the 70s, the posters, they're almost all exactly the same. They have some artist rendition of a disaster, plane crashing, avalanche, whatever is happening. And then below that picture, they have a row of 10 or 12 photographs of the stars. Mm -hmm. You know, this little roll call of who's in the picture. It was all about this star-studded cast. Right. And I think that gave the film's crossover appeal. So it was, you know, every generation could go and see the stars that they knew and see if they were actually going to survive whatever disaster mm -hmm. the film was about. They were, again, very soap opera-y. They had various subplots running through them. So there was a romantic subplot and, you know, all these different characters having their own thing going on. Which strikes me now, I don't know what the cause and effect is. I don't know, chicken or the egg-wise, what came first. But that was a very 70s thing. On TV, it was stuff like The Love Boat. Right, that's what I was thinking, The Love Boat And Fantasy wrong. Island, okay. right, exactly, where, you know, on the TV shows, it was B and C list mm -hmm. stars, but it was this week's guest stars, and they come right. in and have their little subplot and then go away. So yeah, so Irwin Allen had huge successes with these two films. Um, the Poseidon Adventure, made for less than $5 million, grossed over $150 million worldwide, and was, at the time, one of the six most successful films in history. It was nominated for eight Oscars. Really? Including song, score, sound, costume, cinematography, art direction, editing, and best supporting actress. Uh, it only won one for best song, but it was also given an honorary Oscar for visual effects. At the time, there was no competitive visual effects category. The Academy just handed them out when they saw something that was worthy of it. I'm sorry, what was the song? Uh, There Has to Be a Morning After, really? I think is the name of the oh, song. God. You know the song? Yes. Yeah. Ugh. That's the song. Oscar winning song. Oh, no. <laughs> God. It's no, you know, Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On, but okay. So I think I think these three films are sort of considered the, the creme de la creme of the disaster film trend. Mm-hmm. And then, again, I think it was diminishing returns from there on out. Irwin Allen himself went on to make less successful disaster films, some of them laughably bad, like The Swarm, which was about killer bees, and Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, an unsuccessful sequel to this film. Um, he eventually moved his disaster shop to TV, where, on an even more limited budget and with C and D level stars, he produced movies called Flood! Exclamation point, Fire! Exclamation point, Cave In! And The Night the Bridge Fell Down. In cinemas, the 70s also saw Earthquake, The Hindenburg, <laughs> Avalanche, Hurricane, Meteor, etc. <laughs> there were a lot of combination of things, of like setting and terrorist or bomb or something like that. Mm -hmm. The Cassandra Crossing, which was about a biological weapon released on a train. Sure. Roller Coaster was about a bomb on a roller coaster. That seems low stakes. Black Sunday was about the pilot of the Goodyear blimp attempting to blow up the Super Bowl. Two-Minute Warning was about a sniper at the Super Bowl. There's a lot of lot of stuff going on okay. in these films. Uh, have you seen any of these? Why would I have I don't, seen I don't know. any of these well, that's, I never saw any of these in theaters, but I think I saw them all on TV. I feel like they were constantly playing on TV, these mm -hmm. airport movies and Towering Inferno and stuff like that. No, I don't think I've seen any of these movies that you <laughs> mentioned, and nothing about what you've told me makes me feel as though I've missed out on anything. And then I think we can neatly mark the end of the disaster film craze with the release in 1980 of Airplane, which That's, spoofed right, okay. all of the tropes of these films, and particularly of the airport movies that had begun the decade. Okay. So. I think that brings it to a nice tidy end there. That's on my list as well, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, okay. Though, of course, the disaster movie has never really left us. In 1997, we had competing volcano movies in Dante's Peak and Volcano. In 1998, we had competing killer meteor movies with Armageddon and Deep Impact. We have tornado movies like Twister, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you must have seen other disaster movies, if not from the 70s. I've seen Twister. Okay. Um, yeah, this really isn't my genre. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
one one of the purposes of this experiment is to discover just what exactly is your genre. Because <laughs> pretty much everything that we talk about, you say, that's not my genre, that's not my lane. I mean, disaster films are sort of like horror movies for me, where if, if I were in the film, there wouldn't be a movie. Like, Twister, I'm not going to go drive and chase after the tornado. I feel like Twister's a movie, to me, that's a marginal, like, if we're talking definitions. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, they go looking for the right. tornado. They're not stuck no. in a disaster right. situation. They Their go job looking is to, for right, it. So right, that makes it kind of marginal to that's me. That's true, yeah. I think there's a lot of marginal cases. I think we cross over into alien invasion movies, mm-hmm. zombie movies, mm-hmm. stuff like that, that... See, I wouldn't consider They're zombie very movies similar to disaster, a disaster movies, movie. But... I think those are a very specific thing mm-hmm. than disaster movies. Even alien movies, I feel like that's a different thing. Most of them. But I think, like, Independence Day is mm-hmm. kind of a disaster movie. I mean, they shoot the shit out of the country, but... Right. I guess, yeah. And it's sort of structured like a disaster movie, where it you is. have a lot of different subplots yeah. and things going they on. They do have the same sort of beats. I mean... And a lot of these, you're just sort of, you know, placing bets on who the next person to die is. Right. So, in that way, they're much like slasher films. Right. Who's actually going to make it through the right. film? And there's one sort of hero person that is at first not believed, and then believed and followed, and mm-hmm. the whole thing. So, do you have a favorite amongst this genre? Probably not. <laughs> um, I think melancholia would count. <laughs> As a disaster film. I mean, technically, sure. It's like, that a, what, is, is it a meteor or a whole it's planet? It's a whole planet right. that is coming to Crashing crush to the Earth. Earth. So that's a that's a pretty big fucking disaster. So <laughs> I love that movie. It's such a beautiful film. It's, I mean, abstractly, it's kind of a disaster film. It, we don't really Not see after, a lot of stuff blow up or anything. It is very much present through the whole film. And it's also, you know, the mental degeneration of a character. And, mm-hmm. But... I think it's, so, yeah, that's probably my favorite disaster film. Okay. I'm not sure that even The counts. one where the disaster is, like, the very end of the movie. <laughs> right. And that's it. Okay. I, I confess I have not seen The Poseidon Adventure since I probably watched it on television mm-hmm. in the 70s. I have very little memory of it. That's another reason I actually wanted to watch it. Um, so I'm not even sure what to expect from this. I have seen it referred to as the best of these films, that it's, you know, very character driven, whereas the later ones were just trashy about Mm -hmm. the special effects and stuff. But I have also seen it referred to as one of those, it's so bad, it's campy fun. That's a a fine line to walk. Okay. Right? That's, yeah. yeah. Because we made the mistake of watching Geostorm. Why did we do that? Because you were listening to a, a podcast of yours that you enjoy, and they said that it was fun. That it was such that it was, it was so, so bad stupid that it was fun. It was fun. And it really That was wasn't. not the case. No. No, that is time gone because <laughs> it was not there's nothing fun about that. Well, the Poseidon Adventure has apparently achieved cult status. Um, this is from a article in the New York Times. They say, we're talking serious Rocky Horror picture show type devotion here. Oh, wow. Okay. Diehard Poseidon fans have dissected the movie frame by frame, committed it to memory, satirized it in home videos, built action figures of the cast, even designed homes with Poseidon motifs. How have I missed this whole thing? I didn't know about this either, which, you know, maybe they made it up. (laughs) (laughs) And like true devotees, the article goes on to say they convene. This weekend, the Poseidon Adventure Fan Club is holding its seventh annual reunion at the Warner Grant Theater in San Pedro, California. Uh, This article also says that this movie has a broad appeal, apparently, for gay viewers. Hmm. Poseidon is suffused with outrageous 70s fashions. There is also plenty of campy yelling and dialogue. So, yeah, I don't know. Okay, well, I will go in. Could be a good character-driven action thriller, or could be a campy... I mean, the character-driven and campy don't typically go together. Right. So that's... That's why, that's why I'm sort of curious to watch this again and see see what we think of it. Because mm-hmm. okay. its, it's reputation seems broadly divided. <laughs> okay. So uh, what, are you, what are you expecting from this? Uh, to not enjoy it. Um... <laughs> the fuck else is new? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't expect to get a whole lot out of this, but... I didn't, I, did I I watch all of Titanic? I think I watched all of Titanic. Didn't enjoy it. No. It felt overlong. I mean, the part where the boat goes down is cool. Sort of, but (laughs) not enough to 
make it worth sitting through. I think it's like three hours long. Isn't dialogue it? is yeah, just, excremental. Yeah. And then it was everywhere for so long. Yes, and it, just... it was. And then it came back. Yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Weren't you just the right age to be I was, all caught up yes, in the swooniness of huge. Kate and Leo? And yes, and... everybody loved Kate and Leo, particularly Leo. And it was a whole thing. And the song was everywhere. But I did not. You were not I was on not board into this it. Boat. I was not on board. I wouldn't have been on the boat. Person because I'm well, black. this is something we mentioned briefly last week is that you, yes, you have a thing about boats. I don't do boats, you don't want to go on a carnival I have cruise no line. Desire, just go to wherever you want to go, go to the island. <laughs> just I don't need to get on a boat to get there. You can hear a lot of stories about like massive, you know, diarrhea fits and shit. I just don't, mm-mm. that's all right. No, thank you. I don't think you like the idea of being stuck. I don't. There either. That's, That's the stuck. other thing is I don't. I don't like, and I also don't like someone dictating my time. Mm-hmm. Like they go to the port and then you can get off and then you have to get on to get back on. Like I just like just go where you want to go and spend time there. But I, I mean, I have friends who've done it and they loved it. I just not my thing. Okay, so we won't be doing any cruise. Not with me. No cruise lines. No. I think they have those like musical cruises where you can go and be on the boat and that would be a see musicals and things and change that. So the only way I would do it. I am slightly interested in the Alaskan cruises because I think that could be kind of cool because you go and you see like the whales and stuff. That could be cool. Why would that not be your perfect nightmare? Because it's cold. You hate being cold. You hate boats. But. This is the last thing I would think (laughs) to buy for you is an Alaskan cruise. When are you going to see those things? When are you going to see penguins and whales and all that like glaciers. Well, they're all going to melt and die. Exactly. Soon. So we so should probably, should probably do that okay. soon. Yeah. But I, but that's also just like that sounds nice. You know? It's like it's one of those things that you're not actually going to do. But it's like <laughs> that sounds like nice. <laughs> but you're not going to do it. Okay, we'll see if you change your mind. Well, it capsizes. After, after so we why watch. would I change my mind about boats? Yes, the tagline for this film was hell upside down. That was brilliant. Took a lot of people <laughs> a lot of time to come up with that one. That's not, you're still in hell, though. Like, I don't understand why, oh, it's hell, but it's upside down hell. I mean, I guess, is that worse? I don't know that it is. You're still in hell. It's like, bad enough I'm in hell, but But now it's upside down. Now it's upside down. See, I don't know that that's worse. I mean, I think once you're in hell, you're talking degrees at best. And what I'm saying is, you actually aren't, like, it's just you're in hell. So if it's upside down, it's like, okay, well, you're in hell. Well, but you're also nauseated because you're upside down. You're probably not. I mean, I don't imagine. Like before you were in hell, but you weren't sick to your stomach. You now probably you're... were, because I feel, I mean, hell is torture and shit, right? Like, I imagine <laughs> you're not feeling good while you're there. And then it's the upside downness that fucks shit up. It's like, <laughs> oh, this is really throwing hell off now. I gotta, I just, that doesn't make sense to me. But okay, got it. This is one of those conversations that we end up in that nobody else on <laughs> the planet is ending up in. And I think it only happens when you are trying to put off watching the movie. No, I'm just asking important questions. Why being why does being upside down make hell worse? I, I think I think we're about to find out. Was that your your shot at like a segue there? I'm trying desperately okay. to segue, right. yes. Sure. Okay. Let's go watch it. Way to way to work with me on that. Well, I, I mean, I didn't like it, so I wasn't. <laughs> okay, well, um, I'll just sit here and you come up with a better segue. This ain't my job. I don't have to segue shit. <laughs> it's not your job to snipe my segues either. I mean, I feel like I can give you helpful critiques. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was a helpful critique. Yes. Okay. Your segue was rickety, dude. <laughs> like you just gotta come a little better. <laughs> How about this? Shut the fuck up. Let's go watch the movie. <laughs> What is it, look at? I never saw anything like it. An enormous wall of water coming towards us. In the early morning hours of New Year's Eve, Gene Hackman, Ernest Borgnine, Red Buttons, Carol Lindley, Roddy McDowell, Stella Stevens, Shelley Winters, Jack Albertson, Pamela Sue Martin, Arthur O'Connell, Eric Shea, and Leslie Nielsen were aboard the SS Poseidon when it was hit by a 90-foot tidal wave. Oh, my God. And capsized. The Poseidon Adventure. The most exciting escape adventure of our time. Follow me! It took the lives of the 1,400 people on board and changed the lives of the few who would survive. Climbing to another deck will kill you all! And sitting on our butts is not going to save us either! Don't look down! Who do you think you are, God himself? That's the way out. 
Fine talents of 15 Academy Award winners bring you Irwin Allen's production of The Poseidon Adventure, a Ronald Neem film coming from 20th Century Fox. And we're back. During the break, Nikia and I watched The Poseidon Adventure. Nikia, what did you think of this movie that made $150 million <laughs> in 1972? <laughs> That's about six hundred million in today's dollars. Okay, I mean, Transformers makes lots of money too. That doesn't make it a good franchise. Um, What's the verdict? Classic, camp classic, or neither of the above? I would argue camp classic. Okay, but I would say camp classic. <laughs> I don't know that it's. Classic set. I mean, obviously it is because people so definitely camp have movie nights around it. Questionably but it is, classic. It is definitely camp. Questionably classic. <laughs> I sort of concur with that. And I just after we watched the movie, I went and read our good friend Pauline Kale's review, mm -hmm. and I sort of agree with most of this. She said the picture would be more fun if we cared about who got killed and who survived. I think that's true. Mm -hmm. Uh, she said the script is the true cataclysm, which we will talk about that. <laughs> um, I don't even think I mentioned the director's name when we talked about this before. Producer Irwin Allen is right. is the name associated with this. The director was Ronald Neem, who directed another, a couple of good movies. But here she says, Ronald Neem directs about the same way Leslie Nielsen acts, stalwart and dull. And the special effects, literal and mostly full scale, have none of the eerie beauty of early movie catastrophes designed in miniature. There's no beauty anywhere in this movie, but as a dumb, square adventure story, expensive pop primitivism manufactured for the airport market, it is honestly what it is, and the logistics of getting out of an upside-down ship are fairly entertaining. It is what it is. It is what it is. That about sums it up. <laughs> End of episode. <laughs> I was expecting it to be more fun than it was. So you said you hadn't seen it since... I saw it when I was right. a kid okay. on TV. Okay. But yeah, it's weirdly... It takes itself very seriously. That's. I think that's the problem, is that it doesn't know it's yeah. fun yeah or is not willing to acknowledge that it's fun right i don't know that it's fun though is it fun well it should be fun oh, okay <laughs> I, I mean a big formula movie like this right. should be fun yeah and i don't know that it knows it's supposed to right. be well i mean at the top you talked about how it it had sort of developed this life akin to Rocky Horror. Right. Like, so, to, like, Rocky Horror knows it's ridiculous and is inviting the audience into that yes. sort of space, whereas this, I think, it's taking itself fairly seriously. <laughs> um, and then I think you also mentioned it's, like, a gay icon movie. Yes. Which I don't get at all. Uh, I don't really understand that aspect of it either. So There aren't really any... Like, usually those are, like, big diva movies or things like that. Like, there's really none of well, that. Well, I guess Shelley Winters is the big diva in this and movie. And they talk about her bigness a lot. Uh, yeah, that's a um, recurring topic But it's not, a, yeah, but it's not, like, a fabulous, like, it's just, and there's, I don't know that there are those sort of quippy lines that usually right. sort of characterize those types of films. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't yeah, no, I, again, classic is my <laughs> <laughs> response to this movie. All right, well, let's just let's just kind of go through this thing. Okay. So we have the before the disaster strikes. Before we flip the boat, yeah. Before we flip the boat, uh, which happens conveniently right at midnight yes. on New Year's Eve, basically. Yes, but, the universe was conspiring. Yes. For the most dramatic disaster. So we have a lot of stuff that is set up basically telegraphing everything that's mm -hmm. going to happen in the movie. We mm -hmm. have Leslie Nielsen as the captain of the ship. Very serious. I mean, the greatest coup the Zucker Brothers ever did was to get him for the airplane mm -hmm. movies and then later for the Naked Gun movies. Because his deadpan style, you watch him in this movie and it's hard to take him seriously. Right. I was he, waiting for him to sort of crack just a joke and straight. I was just like, oh. No, no, that's just this is real. How, he, okay. how he was. And he's arguing with the, the owner's owner representative the, right, about how the ship the is unstable line. and mm -hmm. they can't go full speed and right. they don't have enough ballast. And there's all this talk right. that just basically lets us know right. 
the ship is a death trap. Well, it's an old ship on its last voyage, which don't take trips on boats that are on their last <laughs> Never voyage. on the first voyage or the and last And never voyage. on the last. These are bad ideas. Like, <laughs> I want a nice middle voyage. You're basically the rookie cop who's signing up to go out on the stakeout with the retiring <laughs> officer. You're going to die. You are on SS. I'm too old for this shit. And it's going to end badly. So just don't do it. And then we start meeting these characters. And again, it is very love boat. Formulaic, yeah. Fantasy Island. Mm-hmm. Like we, all these little, these couples that are on the ship. Mm-hmm. Who are we are introduced to with the most straightforward, exposition-laden dialogue possible to tell us who they all are. Mm-hmm. So we have Ernest Borgnine right. as the detective lieutenant cop and we know he's a detective lieutenant because his hooker wife (laughs) ex-hooker ex-hooker wife (laughs) says to him the captain only invited you to dine with him because you're a detective lieutenant yeah it's like okay thank you we got that piece of information in yes and then he says similar things to establish that she is an ex-hooker yes none of which has anything to do with the story it's never really well they also spend a lot of time talking about suppositories oddly yeah they spend a lot of time (laughs) so our first meeting of them is she's sick in their cabin right and they, the ship's doctor comes in and gives her medicine and says, oh, well, they're suppositories. And Ernest Borgnine's character doesn't know what a doesn't suppository know. is, apparently. <laughs> and so we spend like 10 minutes talking about suppositories. <laughs> and the ex-hook, we should know her name. What's Stella her name? Stevens is the actress. Yes. But these her name is Linda. Rogos. This yes. is, these are the Rogo. Mr. Right. and Mrs. Rogo. I believe her name is Linda, is it? Sure. Okay. Let's go with that. Anyway, Linda's like, I know what a suppository is. And I don't know if that's supposed to be something about her being a former prostitute or what. Like, I just, but we just spent so much time on it. You think that it's going to come back in some way, and it doesn't. How exactly would that come back? I don't, back? but that's what I would like. I'm curious. It's like the, the Chekhov's gun thing where it's like, okay, we keep talking about this gun. We keep mentioning this movie. gun. We keep shooting this, like looking at this gun. So obviously the gun is going to come back and be important. We spent so much time on suppositories and then we never talk about it again. It's a little bit odd. That's all. I'm just, I just thought they okay. were going to come back and okay. they, they didn't. All right. Maybe there were some deleted scenes where we yeah. did a call back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else do we have? Well, so the main character... The priest, or the uh, reverend, The reverend. Yes. Reverend Scott, played by Gene Hackman. Mm-hmm. Who we meet having an argument with another priest. An older priest. Who is, I guess, the ship's chaplain. I don't know, sure. And again, it's the most ridiculously exposition-laden dialogue. He basically gives his character description. Right, he doesn't... I'm an unorthodox, angry, rebellious, (laughs) renegade reverend. And it's just like, did you... Like, they don't even give that dialogue to the other guy to talk about him. He says it about himself. It's like, nobody talks about themselves that way. (laughs) And he's being, quote-unquote, banished to Africa because he isn't following the rules of the church, which, that's a whole other movie that we could talk about. (laughs) All right, I want to come back to the Reverend Scott's theology but let's continue the little roundup of characters here okay uh we meet the jewish couple that we the jewish couple sure are beaten over the head with the fact that they are jewish i believe he's reading books on israel really? i didn't i didn't and there's a the jewish necklace and there's <laughs> i think they're speaking <laughs> it, it yiddish was, at one point it was subtle it was just like <laughs> it was odd this is Shelley Winters yes. and uh, Jack Albertson. Mm-hmm. You kept recognizing people from this I movie. I did, from less, you know... Um, prestigious. Prestigious places. Well, to be fair, I recognized the, the older gentleman from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So I, Yes, was he, was, he was Charlie's grandpa. grandfather. And then Shelley Winters, unfortunately, I recognized her from Roseanne when I used to watch that show before that became a problem Um, (laughs) because she plays Roseanne's grandmother. Okay. So that's where I recognize those two. And I think Red Buttons, who plays Mr. Martin, was also on Roseanne and he played Roseanne's mother's boyfriend in a few episodes. (laughs) And there was an entire episode about how. He and the mother were having sex in the shower, and she fell and broke her hip. But she didn't want to tell anybody that that's how she broke her hip, because she was sort of this, like, prissy grandma. So, yeah, that's where I know these people. <laughs> okay, so we mentioned Mr. Martin. That's Red Buttons. Right. He's kind of a hypochondriac. Very healthy, health conscious. Yes, takes a lot a, of vitamins. He's a bachelor. Yes, hardworking. Uh, this was apparently originally supposed to be Gene Wilder, and for some reason the schedules didn't work out. So Gene Wilder couldn't play this part. And then who else? We meet the band, the shitty band. The shitty band with the shitty singer. Yes. 
Uh, I didn't catch her name. I'm sure I have it somewhere. Her name is useless because that's what she is <laughs> for the entire film. She is useless. Any any movie that has a survival situation, there is always one. You, who's just like, but you specifically take against people because you waste time. <laughs> You're standing there screaming and not moving, and people are like, "Oh, we need to wait and make sure that she can, you know, get herself together and come." No, bye, bitch. She's just falling right. apart. Like, just I don't have constantly. time for you to have a nervous breakdown right now. We got shit to do. <laughs> Noni. Nani. Nani. The character's name is Nani. Non motherfucking Uh, entity. That's what she is. The actress is. Carol. Carol Lindley. Yeah. Uh, Yes, and she. Is useless. Well, we're not. We haven't gotten to the accident yet. Okay. Um, Then we have the brother and sister. Yes, Susan and. Annoying little shit. Is it? uh... Annoying little shit. Is it Robin? Is that his name? Yes, Robin. Susan and Robin. Susan and Robin. Uh, this is Pamela Sue Martin and some kid. <laughs> there aren't that many. These Obviously, everyone we meet. Those are the survivors. These are the people that are going right. to survive. Those and, are the survivors. So who else is a survivor? That's... The waiter, Roddy McDowell. Right. Doing some kind of accent. I, I think, think he's it was supposed, supposed to, be to be an Irish accent. I think accent. he's supposed to be Irish. It was a lot of accent <laughs> for a character who doesn't make it very far into the movie. <laughs> and doesn't really have anything to do. He does not. It's like... I have nothing to do with this role. I'm going to do this so I'm going to Irish the shit out of it. <laughs> His name is Akers for some reason. Um, who'd we forget? Is that everybody? That's everybody. That can't be everybody. That is that is everybody. We got the Reverend. We got the two Rogos. We got Mr. Martin. We got the singer. The brother and sister. The Jewish couple. The Jewish couple. I feel like we're forgetting somebody, but they're probably not that important. That's it. Okay. Does anything interesting really happen to any of them before? No, I mean, so the preacher gives his weird sermon about people not praying to God to solve their problems. Because God doesn't actually give a shit about you, basically, is what he's telling God wants winners and he hates quitters, (laughs) which, all right. And he basically says God can't be bothered dealing with your individual lives. Right. So don't pray to him to solve your problems. You have to solve your own problems. Yes. You're on your own. God doesn't give a shit. Yeah, it's pretty bleak. God likes winners. That's a light collection plate for that Sunday, because fuck off, dude. Damn. (laughs) uh, It's not a very comforting form of Christianity. He's not a comforting preacher. No. But thank God he's being banished to Africa (laughs) to help the Africans. We can give a lot of bootstrap Mm -hmm. speeches. Yeah. Uh, Then I think the next big conversation is the ex-prostitute wife is worried. (laughs) That someone... She's just angry. She she's says a very, they do not have a very healthy relationship. She's a very angry woman. Is it, well, okay. And I think they're because supposed to be newlyweds, aren't they? Meet cute was... He had arrested her six <laughs> times walking the whole stroll before he decided to marry her, which... He he admits that to her in what I think is supposed to be a tender again, moment. I think, again, I think it's like their meet cute is, oh, I arrested you six times and then to I finally got up the, the nerve. It's like, or you could have just not. And she's like, come here, you lousy Trapped cop. her in the prison industrial complex <laughs> and stigmatized sex work <laughs> and, you know, endangered her life. Maybe you you didn't need to do that. But okay, that's a cute story. Super healthy relationship. Anyway, she's worried that somebody she fucked is going to be on the boat and they're going to recognize her. Right. Which is another one of these things that doesn't go anywhere. It or is, doesn't no. Have Again, right. Because then she's like, I recognize the steward from, right. he looked very a familiar. Former customer or something. It's like, never comes up again. So suppositories <laughs> and random John never come up again. Got it. Then we get the big moment. We get a subsea earthquake. Yes. In the Mediterranean, which is known for its subsea tsunamis. Subsea earthquakes. Yes. And we have classic lines of dialogue from the bridge, like, I've never seen anything like it. It's a big wall of water (laughs) moving towards us. And close-ups of a a sonar that show me nothing. I don't see anything on it. But okay. You look concerned. Got it. And the big New Year's Eve party is raging in the dining room. Everybody's having a good time. To this band that seems to only know this one not very danceable song. Yeah. It's a bummer song to be playing on New Year's Eve. It really is. There's got to be a morning after. Nobody likes the morning after on New Year's Eve. And then the wave hits and the ship crashes and turns. We watch people... Fall sort of unconvincingly, actually. They just do these. Oh, come on. I mean, for the time. For the time, it's fine. I mean, you say this having seen Titanic, which did the same thing with computer generated effects. And it's like, ah. I mean, this was all practical effects. And 
you know, pretty good. People fall in. The ship turns completely upside down. People are falling. The piano is falling onto people. Yeah. The chandelier falls onto people. I would people. say that's the best sequence in the whole film. The guy falls through the skylight, which is now yeah, beneath now him. Yeah, the floor, right. People are taking refuge by clinging to the underside of, of the tables. tables that are bolted to the deck. Yeah. You know, there's some good stuff in there. No, I think it's the best sequence in the whole film. Okay. <laughs> but it's also funny to watch people sort of fall weirdly. Like it's just, it's a little odd. There is a sequence of about seven shots that are, it's the exact same shot yeah. of people sliding yeah. and it's just different people. It's yeah. like, okay, your turn. It's like Go the top the slide. of water park. <laughs> it's like, your turn, slide down, scream your head off. Right. Right. Okay, so now the ship, the ship is upside down. Right. And so begins the religious allegory that is the film. Oh, okay. You're going to unpack this for us? I mean, there's not a whole lot to unpack. So the ship flipped. Yeah. And everybody's like, uh, 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 you know, moaning in that death moan shit. And then um, we see. That was a powerful performance you just gave. Wasn't it? I, I'm, I could be in the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Linda, the ex-prostitute. And she is with the preacher, and she says, Jesus Christ, what happened? And then he answers her, number one. Oh, didn't didn't notice that. He is now Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) And from pretty much that point on, he is Jesus in the movie, leading his flock to salvation. How do they get up to safety? They climb a Christmas tree, or the tree of life, to salvation. This is profound. See? Shit, you were pulling See, out. That's what I'm saying. It's deep shit. It's not a Moses thing. It's not a Moses See, I don't to think the it's promised Moses. land I don't kind think of it's thing. Because there are a number of points where it's very much so Jesus. But when you get to the end, uh-huh. there's his whole sort of screaming at God moment where he's like, there what it. more could we sacrifice? Yeah. What more could mm-hmm. I do for you? How much more blood could I shed? Which was a very yeah, Jesus God dynamic. Right. And then there is, spoiler alert, a sacrifice. Right, and, then there's, and he's he's like hanging from the steam valve, so he almost looks like he's in sort of a crucifixion sort of okay. positioning. Okay, all right. It's Jesus. You convinced me. See? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> gonna, have, gonna have to rewatch the entire see? movie now. Yeah, and, now I'm just and, totally and blowing see, your mind. see all of this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so these people decide... Based, I think, on not a lot of evidence that they need to climb to the top. Right. To get to the hull of the ship. The bottom of the boat, which is now the top of the right, boat. Right, Climb to the hull. Because the eight-year-old kid tells them that's where the deck is thinnest and you can get through and get out or something. Because guess what? The little child shall lead them. Boom! You're having a lot of fun with this, I aren't am. you? Because it's dumb otherwise. So you need to put something in it of your it's, own. I think it's still dumb. It's with like that. getting unseasoned food, and you're like, all right, give me my fucking salt and pepper, my Lowry seasoning. I gotta doctor this up and make it interesting. So yes, but yes. Yeah, so he had been he had been hanging out with the crew, and they had been t- like taking him through the boat and like giving him little yeah. facts about the boat. He had been reading about the boat, so he knew. Again, it's airplane has just ruined all of these movies now because I just see that kid and I expect the crew to say, "You like gladiator movies, Tommy?" <laughs> He's an annoying ass kid, but yeah. his annoyingness, you know, helped him procure important information for how they were going to. Yeah, he no, he's got the blueprints of yeah. this entire ship it's done. in his head. It's done. <laughs> Listen to the little kid. So yeah, so they take what had been a very gaudy Christmas tree that was in the ballroom that had fallen over. It is conveniently made shaped of, like a ladder, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they sort of and exactly the right height <laughs> to get to where they need to perfect. go. <laughs> um, and they proceed to shove the kid up there first because fuck it. Um, <laughs> I, do, and... I do like that. <laughs> like climb that tree and make sure it's safe. <laughs> we'll wait here. You're a little monkey. Go ahead. <laughs> So he goes up there safely, and he's like, oh, it's no sweat, no problem. Yeah. And then Susan, his sister, goes next. She conveniently... Yes, there's a there's a nice element here in which climbing the Christmas tree requires only mm-hmm. the attractive women... Yes. ...to take off a lot of Be their happy clothes. To. Yes. 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 No one tells Shelly Winters... No. ...she needs to take off her gown. No. But Pamela Sue Martin and Nani, the singer, and Stella Stevens... All have to strip. All got to strip down. Because yeah. they can't possibly climb this Christmas tree in their gowns. With their clothes on. No. They do climb in the entire six ship... six-inch platforms. In, yes. yes. Six-inch platform heels. Yes. But, yes. Stella Stevens has to take off her gown, and we are told she's wearing nothing underneath it. Panties. Panty. She's, yes, that's another classic line. You know, <laughs> I'm wearing panties. What else do I need? <laughs> Nothing, bitch. Nothing. Um, 
So yeah, so Susan is wearing this like red yeah. velvet ballroom skirt that conveniently just detaches from <laughs> the top and then has red velvet little hot pants on underneath, which I'm not Get, super familiar with. with 70s formal uh-huh. wear, but I don't remember them being coming coming with like attached biker shorts. But it's okay. like, like tennis shorts right. under yeah. a tennis skirt. Sure. That's that kind of not thing. a thing that happens. And no? they definitely wouldn't be made out of red velvet. <laughs> Um, but she takes it, so she climbs up the tree, makes it, fine. Then we get fat shaming moment number one. Oh my god, there's so much fat shaming in this there's movie. There's a lot of fucking fat shaming. And they made Shelly Winters gain weight for this role. Really? Yes. She gains like 35 pounds to Just so they can part. make fat jokes about her? Apparently, yes. Because it was an important character trait. That's, okay, that's a problem. <laughs> because you could actually just not have those jokes in there. Uh-huh. It would It would have been fine. Um, but okay. So the preacher goes over to her and is like, all right, we need to get up this tree. <laughs> And she says, a fat woman like me can't climb. <laughs> just, let's, how about we just don't do this? Or we could not. But they convince her to go up there. And then there's this really horrendous shot of the preacher right, she gets shoving stu- her. She gets stuck halfway up the tree. Up her ass to push her up the tree. <laughs> the preacher gets under her. Sorry I had to get so familiar. And she's like, oh, what else were you going to do? It had to be done. No, you do not need to be disrespected. I understand we're in a disaster situation, but damn. It, we don't have to do that. That's unnecessary. But to get her up there, here's Jesus number two. Mm, okay. To get her up there, she's like, What's so different up there than what's down here? And he says, yes, there is something different. Life. Mm. Life what? Everlasting. Boom. Okay, so wait. So, okay. So we have skipped over here the part where the preacher tried to convince every... There's like 300 people in this ballroom. Right, And he tried to convince them all. Well, that's later. That comes next. Okay. Because he has a whole moment where he gets all of his... The crew that we all know. Oh, you're right. He gets his disciples up there. The disciples are up the tree. Okay. Then and then he comes back and he does the big speech and he's like, look, shit is bad. You need to come up to the top. And then the ship's purser is down there and he's like, look, we know the help is coming. We're not going anywhere. We're staying here. The priest is like, all right, fuck you. Then he goes to his older priest friend and he's like, look, you know better than this. You need to come and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And the priest, the priest is like, you only spoke of the strong. You didn't speak okay, of the Okay, so this is, this is actually the only interesting true. speech in the, in the it movie is. to me. It is. The the old priest says your whole attitude about you know you got to help yourself you got to take care of yourself right. your own problems God likes winners there's no empathy in it like you are speaking only for the strong right you know not everybody is that strong right what of the old what of the weak right. and the preacher's just like fuck them. <laughs> If you can't climb that tree, I can't, you know, that's on you. So we barely got the fat lady. Up right. There. Again, just not a good collection plate strategy. But so he climbs back up the tree and then almost immediately God's vengeance comes down and there's an explosion and the the Yeah, the first of a series of the explosions. The first of a series of really random explosions. Conveniently timed throughout yes. this movie. And there's flooding and I it's, guess these are the engines exploding or the boiler room exploding. I don't know, something exploding. But it's basically a scene from the Ten Commandments where you see like the Egyptians dying in the flood sort of thing. Like <laughs> yeah. it's a very biblical <laughs> moment. And he's just looking out over it and just like, I told you guys. Sort of So this is the saved in the dam. This we got is the it's saved kind of a rapture thing. Exactly. We've the saved like I tried. Up top and everybody else dies yep. in the watery pit. Exactly. Okay. Right. Okay. I'm seeing it. Thank you. So, skip, skip, skip. <laughs> Unimportant. Uh, so, <laughs> they're basically following both the preacher and the little kid because he knows his way through the ship. Again, a little child right. shall lead them. Um, and then there are various meanderings and obstacles as they make their way through the different levels of the ship. Mm-hmm. Decks. Decks. Yes, that's the word I was looking for. And then we get more fat jokes. A lot of fat jokes. A lot of fat jokes. There's a point where they come to this, like, ramp where people have to, for some reason, be pulled up by a, a hose. <laughs> yeah, it's not that steep a it's ramp. It's not very steep Gene at all. Gene Hackman just walks up it. He just walks it. up it. And then once he's it's up there. It's basically a wheelchair ramp that right. you, you can walk up. <laughs> but, all right. But once he's up there, suddenly everyone down below needs to be pulled up. <laughs> like there are horses or something. It's very odd. And then the little boy says something like, it's okay, I helped my dad pull in a 600-pound swordfish to the <laughs> Shelly Winters' character. And it's like, unnecessary. Yeah. Didn't mm-hmm. need to say that. And she she is not an obese woman. No, she's not particularly and huge. Like, don't really need to say that <laughs> no. at this point. But okay. He apologizes for that later. He, he feels apologize. bad about that. He does. But maybe he's the only one in the movie Don't who say does. it in the first place. They're crawling through, you know, little corridors and vents, and we get Linda, the ex-prostitute, saying, 
I don't want to get stuck behind. Okay, you don't need to keep calling her Linda the ex-prostitute. Here's why I'm calling her that, because she's a shit person. I don't want to get stuck behind Fatty. So what we know about her is she is not a hooker with a heart of gold. If she were a hooker with a heart of gold, I would be calling her by her first name. Okay. She is not. Okay. So she is Linda the ex-prostitute. <laughs> because fuck you, Linda. What did you say during the movie? You said get back on the... <laughs> I told her to get back on the whole stroll, which was totally inappropriate. Because <laughs> she's not a nice person. No, she's not so a nice person. So now I'm not person. in your corner. Now I'm not your ally. Usually I try to be, you know, n- but no, now you can get your ass back on the street. So they run into another group of survivors that are following this doctor to a different section of the ship. And the preacher goes over to them. Oh, they're, wait, they're oh. following... Science, exactly, exactly. Instead faith. of faith, and oh, the preacher goes okay. and says, "No, I know that that's the, wrong, the way. wrong way. Please come and follow me." And the doctor's like, "No, no, we're gonna go this way. We think the engine room has exploded. We're not going to the engine room. Mm-hmm. We're gonna go this way." So they go to their death, obviously, because they follow science. Okay. So we go through all the shit, and <laughs> <laughs> his all right, disciples. No, all right, wait a minute. So you, I, I'm checking my notes here. Okay. You skipped over the first death. Who? Acres. Because he doesn't matter. <laughs> well, we should at least acknowledge his acknowledge. passing. Acknowledge. There's another little explosion when they're climbing this shaft, okay. this air shaft, and poor Roddy McDowell. Okay, we're gonna pour out a little for that. Got it. Irish mm-hmm. accent. Sure. Falls and dies. Not remembered. <laughs> but okay. Anyway, carry on. So the whole time, his disciples are following him, but. Uh, Borgnine, more than any of them, the whole time is just like, I don't know why we're following this preacher. He's just pissy. He's pissy the whole time. He doesn't time. have any better ideas. He's just yeah. he's just a naysayer. Like, I don't know why we're following you. I don't, you know, feel like doing that. I think you're doing this wrong, blah, 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 blah. Fine. So, again, Jesus. He's the guy you take on the trip that complains about everything, everything but, but doesn't, doesn't want to make any drive, decisions himself. Doesn't contribute right? any gas mm-hmm. money. Doesn't yeah. just, it's just a fucking waste. So... <laughs> We finally get to, like, the room before the engine room, which is where we've been trying to get this whole movie. Uh, okay. Is there other shit you want to talk about? Well, I'm looking because I'm, you're, mm-hmm. you know, again, just barreling through this film trying because to get to it at there's the end as fast as possible. There's nothing. I should actually make movies because my movies would be over in, like, 15 minutes. <laughs> okay, no, you're good. Go ahead. Right, exactly. <laughs> so they finally get to the room before the engine room, and it has since filled up with water. So they're going to have to swim to get to the engine room. This is freaking everybody out. Yeah. But Preacher's like, no, it's cool. I'm going to take this rope. I'm going to swim to the engine room, and then I'll tug on the rope when I've gotten there, and then everybody else can just sort of follow the rope. Okay, the wait a minute. Stop. Okay. I'm going to go back. All right. Because I, I know one of the things we're getting to, and first we should acknowledge, we talked about Nani. Right. You complained about Nani being she's useless. useless. So already when they were climbing the air shaft, Nani froze up. Right. On the ladder. Yes. Just did. couldn't move. Right. I think this is after Roddy McDowell fell. Yes. Right? And she's just frozen there, and she's got people behind her. Right, on the ladder, and trying Red to Buttons die. has to basically talk her through every rung of this ladder mm-hmm. to climb the ladder. Mm-hmm. What did you say at that point? That they should climb over her <laughs> and keep moving. If you want to stay here and freak out and die, that's your personal business. That's your journey. Go with God. That's not my ministry. I don't know. No, no, no. I need to get over you in order to stay alive. You were like, just pry her fingers like, off the ladder and drop her. Well, just crawl over her. You can get, a, like, if you got to use her shoulders to get up, that's what I'm about to do. <laughs> We don't have time. Okay, so sorry. Now we're now we're at the swimming portion right. of our program. Yes. So preacher jumps in the water, swims, and then he gets trapped under some sort of right. He's swimming through this underground thing. Yeah. These stairwells that are all flooded it's with very water, and he comes out the other side. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and then but some like steel thing, thing falls, falls and traps him. <laughs> and sort of traps him, and they realize that he's not coming back. Right. So Shelly. So who are we sending to the rescue? Shelly. Shelly. Because conveniently. <laughs> She's a fucking Olympic swimmer or some shit. <laughs> well, city, some city champion swimmer or something. But nobody believes she her. She has the, the medal, medal around, around her, her neck. neck. <laughs> because that's what you do. Along with the Hebrew sign of life. So yes. the two things we her know about. Her two defining characteristics. Yes, exactly. And But nobody believes her because she's overweight, so you couldn't possibly swim. Uh-huh. Uh, but she's like, no, 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 I can totally do this, and I'm going to do it. And she gets in the water. And she saves the preacher. Right. She swims through. She pulls the big heavy thing mm-hmm. off the preacher. They get out the other side. Mm-hmm. She says, see? In the water, I'm a very skinny lady. <laughs> God damn it. And then. Or in the water, you float like every other fucking human being, no matter what their weight is. 
And then what happens? She has a fucking heart attack. <laughs> I was so pissed when she grabbed her chest. I was like, this no, is no, her fuck. big. This is her big hero moment. This is her big <laughs> fat girls can do anything moment. And she has, has a heart, heart attack. attack and dies. Son of a bitch. Meanwhile, Nani has provided a new piece of information about herself. I can't swim. <laughs> bitch. Why the fuck are you on a boat? This... <laughs> So then, Buttons, whatever his character is, <laughs> yeah. name is, who has been, you know, coaching and providing emotional support for her this entire time, unnecessary, because I would have left her ass a long time ago, is like, okay, well, I'm not going to leave you. And so she, <laughs> shitty person that she is, is like, okay, well, we could just stay here together. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, you're just going to volunteer my life? I'm trying to help you out. You're just like, okay, well, we could just wait and die here together. That's cool. No, no. That was the wrong answer. The right answer is, no, I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to come with you. Or I'm going to stay here by myself and die alone. <laughs> right. You save yourself. Don't now. bring my shit into the... Why? <laughs> she should have been left. But okay. He finally convinces her. All you have to do is hold your breath and I, I like hold on to me and I will take you all the way through. And she's doing the thing that people that can't swim do when they get in the water, which is like fight you the right. whole way and make it so that you're about to drown. Like, bitch, why? I want to cut her loose. I just can't. I cannot with Noni. No to Noni, okay? No. So she gets, she lives, unfortunately. Uh, and they all make it to the other side. And before Shelly can die, she gives her Hebrew necklace to the preacher and is like, give this to my grandchild and tell him that life is important or some bullshit uh-huh. like that. So that's that. <laughs> so they're all out of the water. They're trying to get, to, then they have to climb up some rickety ass, like, Catwalk cantilever thing, thing yeah. to get mm-hmm. to the next level. And as they're climbing up, uh, Linda, the ex-prostitute, falls off. <laughs> And into, like, a lake of fire. (laughs) Which is, I guess, where sinners end up. But, I mean, Jesus was very cool to prostitutes, though. He was very pro-prostitutes. So, uh, you know, sad to go. But that's when Ernest Borgnine... Gene Hagman isn't that kind of Jesus, though. He's he's the angry Jesus. He is an angry Jesus. You know, Borgnine goes off and gives the, you know, the bad disciple speech, which is, you know, I started to believe in your promises. <laughs> you took from me the only, thing, the only thing I ever loved, which is like what we all say when someone we love dies is like, fuck you, Jesus. We all have our moment. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then we, you know, get over it. Uh, and then that's when Preacher has his, like, angry, you know, screed to God, which is, you yes, know. Yes, they, they get to the final door right. they need to go through. Right. And then there's like a steam and explosion or something. Right. And so, so there's they, hot steam blocking their way. And so he goes, what more do you want of us? <laughs> Screaming at God. What, we did it on our own with no help from you. How many more sacrifices? How much more blood? One more blood. So he goes. Because he says, take me. He says, take, yes. He's very just... <laughs> martyrish here and he hangs off of this steam valve and like turns the steam off he's, he's getting the shit scalded just out burn of the shit out of him which is again very sort of crucifixion sort of yeah. iconography slowly agonizingly turning you know, this valve turns off the steam falls to a death into the lake of fire <laughs> Everybody else goes through the door, start banging the shit out of this one-inch piece of steel that the little kid told them about, like, eight hours ago. And then the rescue team finds them, and then they're rescued. Because, as Ernest Borgnine says, the beautiful son of a bitch was right. See? So he's a believer, belatedly. He's a be- Well, once Jesus dies for your sins, you gotta yeah. go, oh, I probably mm-hmm. should have listened to him. Okay, so who so who, who in the end makes it out? Mr. Rogo right. lives, even though his ex-prostitute wife dies. Yes. Susan. Susan and her little brother both live. Mm-hmm. Mr. Martin, Red Buttons. Yes. And Nani. Yeah. Nani makes it. Which, <laughs> she's a drain on humanity. And, and the Jewish uh, And the husband of husband, Shelley Winters. Right, yes. Yes, makes it. And that's everybody. Okay. Are there any more survivors? No. Yeah, no, more. everybody else on the ship is dead. Because they were the only ones that followed Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moral of the story. Follow Jesus or you're going to die on a ship. In velvet short shorts. So you would have followed Jesus. I wouldn't have been on the damn ship. <laughs> as soon as they said, this is an old ass ship. It's our last trip. Mm-mm. That's all right. I'm cool. You know what? I can fly to Greece. There are flights. Someone says that right at the I think it's, is it the I think it's Linda the ex-prostitute. She's like, says, why the fuck didn't we get on the plane? I don't know why we didn't just fly. That's the smartest thing she says the whole film. It's like, why we just didn't get on the plane? Good question, Linda, ex-prostitute. 
knows what to do with suppositories, and knows that you knows should fly and not pain, take a boat. But is also a fat shamer, and so I don't like her. <laughs> I'm not cool with Linda. Were you, uh, were you surprised, were you able to predict who was going to live or die, or were you surprised? Did some of those surprise you? Um, I mean, I thought Ernest Borgnine was probably going to die, just because he just talks so much. Um, Did you think Gene Hackman was going to live? Did you expect him to be the hero? That could have gone either way. That mm. could have gone, I mean, because once I got into the Jesus thing, it was like, oh, well, he has to die. He has to die for their sins. He has to die to save them, so. Okay. Yeah. The little kid wasn't going to die because they don't kill little kids. And that would have been a nice surprise, though. It would have been a nice surprise. <laughs> And he apparently was the only one with, like, a, a map of the ship in his head, so they needed him to stay alive. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was hoping Noni was going to go at just about every moment, and she just would not die, so. Okay. Did you did you have a favorite part of this movie? No. I did not. Like I said, I think the scene where the ship first flips, I think that's a, a well-done scene, mm. considering. That is it. I did not enjoy any other part of this. The whole time, I was just I wanted to whoop their ass for picking on Shelly. Like, what the shit? Well, then, were you rooting for Shelly to make it? I was rooting for Shelly to speak up and be like, fuck off. This fat bitch will eat your ass if it comes to it. Like, I don't, I just, no, no. We don't have to talk about her weight. It's not important. Well, she got the last laugh because she was the only person uh, nominated for this film. Good for her. Because they nominate women when we get, quote unquote, ugly. You're so cynical. That's what it is. Oh, Charlize Theron put on a nose <laughs> that doesn't quite fit her face. Oscar. That was that was Nicole Kidman who put on the nose. No, but Charlize, in Charlize Oscar, did she not get an Oscar? Movie. No, she did too. Okay, yeah. exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like yeah. all she did was put on a fucking nose, and she put on a little weight. She's still fucking Charlize Theron. So does it? Did it make you want to watch like 24 more disaster movies? No. That apparently the American public was clamoring for. No. In the wake of Airport and this movie. No. It did, it did not. Because it, it is a pretty foolproof formula. It is. And I see why it works. Mm. And I'm not against them existing. I just w would not pay to go see them or sit in my house and watch them for free. You don't want to see Earthquake? Nope. Or Avalanche? Nope. Or <laughs> The Swarm? Nope. With Michael Caine fighting a swarm of killer bees? No. That's okay. The only killer bees I care about are with Wu-Tang Clan. So that's all I really <laughs> need to know about that. Thanks. I don't know what that means. Exactly. Inside joke for our black listeners. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to have to watch The Towering Inferno. I don't want to watch it. Yeah, it's just going to be this with fire. Paul Newman. Steve Is there a McQueen. fat person in this? Uh, you can't get on the elevator because you're too fat. <laughs> no, it's unnecessary. Uh, okay. Any uh, any final thoughts on? The Poseidon Adventure? There are no black people. There were no black people. This is something I think Roger Ebert mentioned in his review, because he talked about the roll call of stereotype cliched characters, yeah. and he said you, you expect there to be at least one black person in the group, but no, no there isn't one this time. Because yeah. you know what? We don't get on old-ass boats. <laughs> Fool us once! <laughs> that trip over was yeah, enough for we you just, guys? Yeah, we don't, we don't take those invites anymore. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. Nakia, I think we should start the new year of the Unenthusiastic Critic Podcast off on a happy note. Mm -hmm. By watching an indisputable classic. I will probably dispute. <laughs> you will be delighted to hear that next week we'll be watching the quintessential feel-good Hollywood musical. Gene Kelly and Stanley Donan's Singing in the Rain from 1952. That's... Nope. No. <laughs> I am not happy to hear that. How can you not be looking forward to that? I, I mean, I've seen clips of the Singing in the Rain number. Uh-huh. So That's I, all I you feel, need? Yeah, I feel like I'm good. Yeah. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, where you can listen to earlier episodes, leave us a comment, or find our contact and social media links. And if you're enjoying The Unenthusiastic Critic and would like us to keep doing what we're doing, you can make a donation on the website through PayPal or leave us a starred review on Apple Podcasts, which will help more people to find us. Until next time, we wish all our listeners a happy new year, and we remind you that true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. You always make fun of other podcasters of how they segue to commercials in really inorganic and awkward ways. So I'm just, I'm trying to help you out.
I do. I make fun of Tom and Lorenzo. Don't say their name. Why not? Don't cut that. Because I don't want to be... No, I don't want them <laughs> to not like us in case they may like us one I day. love Tom and Lorenzo. Don't. No, we're not including any of this. But on their commercials, they... We're not you know, including like, any of this. Oh, Harvey Weinstein is a terrible person. But you know what's not terrible? My, My new bag luggage. from Posturepedic. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most awkward segue we got to cut all of this out because we're not going <laughs> to bad talk Tom and Lorenzo. You think they're listening? They may one day listen or someone else may listen and then tag them on Twitter and be like, hey, these people are dissing you. And then we're not friends with Tom and Lorenzo <laughs> when we maybe could have been friends with Tom and Lorenzo. I would like to have the opportunity to be, to be friends with Tom and Lorenzo. <sighs> Fair enough. Thank you. Let's go watch this shitty movie.